I'm Damian Bolwa, Director of News at the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, could the Bay Area be on the brink of a fourth coronavirus surge? My guest, Chronicle reporter Annie Weinstein, has been looking at the numbers and talking to the experts. The news is mostly good. With vaccinations piling up, the pandemic is in many ways in retreat. Still, as we move into the spring, there could be trouble ahead, and we'll talk about why. Later on, Fifth and Mission sports writer Ron Krojcik is going to join me to talk about the coming return of fans to Bay Area sporting events and what you need to know to be safe. Annie Weinstein, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me, Annie. I know you've been looking at this. I, I feel like we're getting a lot of positive news on the pandemic. You're bringing us down to earth a little bit here. Some of the experts you've talked to have said there is a good chance of yet another surge. Yeah, um, the experts are, um, you know, mostly split in terms of what the actual likelihood um, might be. But certainly no one is saying that it's a 0% chance. Um, We have one expert saying that it's not a question of uh, whether or not we'll get a surge, but by how much. We have another expert saying that uh, he gives it a 45% chance. But I think everyone is pretty aligned in that even if we do have uh, a fourth surge and um, it's looking like by, you know, the end of the month into next month, we'll sort of see it beginning, it won't look the same as the previous three surges. Okay, well, let's get to those differences. But first, let's talk about the factors. With with the vaccinations, you would expect that we'd see a diminishing number. But there are these trouble signs. Let's go through some of those. Yeah, so I think the two things are true. I mean, experts for the last a uh, couple months have been saying that it's really a race between the vaccines and the variants. Um, and I think we're sort of in the thick of that now. So there are quite a few people in the Bay Area who have received, you know, their second dose of the vaccines. We're seeing um, counties getting deliveries of the Johnson & Johnson vaccines. And the rollout is definitely continuing to improve. Um, but at the same time, experts have, you know, unfortunately said that the uh, the biggest thing is the variants, and the particular variant that they're concerned about is the B117. So that's the so-called UK variant, and they forecast that it will be the dominant coronavirus strain by the end of March. And the issue with that is that it's 50% more transmissible. So this poses a big, uh, you know, challenge against vaccinations, and for the majority of people um, who you know, have who may or may not be driving the spread in the next few weeks. These are most likely going to be young people who are more more mobile, um, who are going on spring break, who are in colleges, who are tired, um, and many of them are not vaccinated. Um, And many of them also are asymptomatic or likely to be asymptomatic, which means that the surge could look a little bit more invisible than it would um, in the previous surges. All right. So the the weather and the coming spring break is a factor, I guess, in the same way that that the winter holidays were, huh? I think it's, you know, on the one hand, the weather is a factor um, in that maybe because it's nicer, more people decide to gather. It's been a pretty dreary last, I guess, couple months in the Bay Area with a lot of rain and, uh, you know, relatively cold conditions. So I think that has, you know, uh prohibited people from wanting to um, or discouraged them from wanting to be outside and gather in large groups. At the same time, 
we're, you know, experts are always concerned that when it's colder weather, people will go indoors. And we've definitely, we definitely saw that in the winter surge. So I think the weather aspect isn't as important as just um, the, the reality that this variant is going to be dominant um, and that it's coming at a time where a lot of people still aren't vaccinated and some people don't want to be vaccinated. Um, but the other big factor is just the general psychology of this time. I think a lot of people really do feel that we're at the end. And in so many ways, that is partially true. Um, you know, hospitalizations are down dramatically. Positive test rates have dropped significantly. Many counties are, you know, reporting just plummeting case counts. San Francisco may move into the orange tier, which is the second least restrictive in just two weeks. So by those standards, we are, um, you know, the maybe the worst is over. But at the same time, um, experts say if we let our guard down, especially at a time where we're still in just this fragile territory with the vaccine and the variants, we could really be on our way to a fourth surge. Now, you've been writing about every day about the the new rules, the the coming changes in all of the Bay Area counties where you're seeing things like indoor dining. We're, we're going to talk to Ron Krojcik later about the potential opening of, of the baseball stadiums and, and maybe even the Warriors stadium. But you also write that that some places are giving incentives for people to hold on a little longer uh, and and don't do those trips, don't necessarily have those interactions that might spread the virus. Yeah, a lot of people are really concerned about this big break coming up. Um, for some people, spring break, I guess, already is in motion. Um, and like we talked about the weather getting warmer, people looking to travel, um, and actually, UC Davis is offering $75 spring break grants for students to avoid non-essential travel during the upcoming vacation. So certainly um, institutions are, you know, they may not be the only ones, but uh, they're certainly trying to find ways to incentivize people to just stay put because um, pretty much all the infectious disease experts say that these next next few weeks are going to be really critical in figuring out, um, you know, when the surge might come and also to what extent, you know, it poses a major challenge for people in the Bay Area. You also write that even if we get a surge, it's going to look a lot different and it's not going to be as bad as the, the holiday surge, for example. Yes. Everyone um, has sort of envisioned the surge as uh you know, in slightly different ways. Um, I've had, you know, one person describe it as sort of a, a slow hill, um, you know, with a long rise as opposed to a sharp peak. Um, and in some ways, that's good, right? Like we don't want to see our hospital system as strained as it was in the winter and, and summer surges. Um, because so many, you know, because California has prioritized its vac vaccinations to avoid severe uh, disease and um, to avoid as many hospitalizations and deaths from COVID as possible. Um, you know, the swath of the people who have gotten vaccinated, those were the people that we'd see ended up ending up in the ICUs, um, in hospitals, um, which leaves this like huge kind of, you know, huge portion of the population. Again, like I said, many of them young people or in that kind of you know, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s category. Those are people who we know are more likely to be asymptomatic. We're also seeing that in the Bay Area in general, um, just testing trends that sort of the trend is that fewer people are getting tested now. Um, and I think that's a combination both of just feeling like 
it's safer out, you know, feeling like there's less of a risk of getting coronavirus, but also just that exhaustion, um, the exhaustion and just at some point a fatigue that turns into maybe for some people feel a sense of calm. Um, so that means that for a lot of the people getting sick, they may have really mild il- illness. They may be asymptomatic, but they also may be spreading it to lots of people, which and and if they're not getting tested and they're not ending up in hospitals, um, you know, that's good to some extent, but it's also it also means that it might be harder for us to track and it might be a little bit more prolonged and sort of less right. visible. So we might see a lot of cases or at least a surge of cases, but maybe not the hospitalizations or the deaths. Exactly. All right. Well, Annie Weinstein, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. We'll be right back after this on Fifth and Mission with Ron Krojcik. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa, and now I'm joined by Chronicle sports writer Ron Krojcik. Ron is looking at the year anniversary of the shutdown of sports, at least the ability of fans in the Bay Area to see sports. Ron, thanks for joining me. Damian, thanks for having me. So, Ron, will you take us back one year, one year ago Thursday? What happened that that started this whole thing? Yeah, it happened rather abruptly. Um, Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz tested positive for the virus uh, right before uh, his team's game in Oklahoma City. Uh, I think the teams were actually out on the uh, on the court, um, and they uh, they had to pull them off and and cancel the game and evacuate the you know empty the arena. So I think it was a, a very sudden and unexpected. Uh, uh, turn of events for sports fans who maybe didn't expect, didn't understand that the virus had this kind of gravity. Um, and the NBA suspended its season that night. And then that just sort of set the the dominoes in motion. And uh, the PGA Tour canceled uh, its tournament the next day. And uh, before long, uh, sports was really at a halt as, as far as spectators were involved. Yeah. And, and we've seen sports come back in large degree in the Bay Area. But the idea of being a sports fan at a venue, it's, it's something we've almost forgotten. Yeah, it's, it's even, even as competition resumed just a couple months later, uh, spectators were just not part of the mix anymore. Um, you know, and we, we sort of learned to adapt to watching these, these competitions unfold in empty arenas, which is a very bizarre vibe if you've ever covered sports, you know, and the electricity and the uh, volume level and the intensity uh, of a major sporting event, you know, it was very strange. And now I think a lot of people are used to it. it it's kind of come this strange new reality. And slowly you see it moving back to the way it was, or at least, you know, partial capacity at these events, which is going to be the reality probably most of this year. Are we going to see sports fandom in the Bay Area soon? Well, based on the the recent developments and the state of California's guidelines that they issued last week, um, it looks like we'll get 20% capacity at A's and Giants games when the season starts here in a few weeks. Uh, The A's open April 1st. The Giants open at home on April 9th. I believe San Francisco County is already in the red tier. Alameda County moved, I think, just today, uh, Wednesday, into the red tier. So... If that's the case, 20% of capacity, which is working out to 11,000, 13,000, somewhere in that range. I think 11,000 for the A's and a little less for the Giants. Um, so that should allow the distancing and the masking and the precautions that health experts all advise. Um, so it'll be 
uh, a baby step back toward normal, but uh, certainly not what fans are expected to from pre-pandemic times. All right. You spoke to experts about whether we should be going back, whether they would go back, um, you know, if they had a ticket. So there will be fans, but should there be? And, and, and should we be going? And, and what are the dynamics involved when you, when you sit, especially in a big indoor arena? Well, that was sort of our idea was to call, I, I think I talked to six infectious disease experts throughout the Bay Area. And, and it's going to be a very personal decision for a lot of people. Some, some people who, who value, you know, attending live events as a high priority in their life are going to be much more eager than people who maybe were vulnerable or who are content watching on TV. So our idea was to, to talk to these health experts, engage their uh, comfort level in returning to live events and returning to big congregate settings. You know, many of them obviously are sports fans. Um, talked to a couple of UCSF doctors who are, you know, stationed right there in Mission Bay, right near Chase Center, right near Oracle Park. And many, most of them are, are hesitant yeah, they're still not ready. They, re, they, they do agree that the reduced capacity and if the rules are followed, if masks are in place and if distancing happens, that it's probably pretty safe outdoors. Almost all of them to a T say indoors is still too risky. Um, so that's sort of the demarcation line. And if you, you know, that's what the health expert, the health officials, the public health officials are easing restrictions on outdoor stadiums, but not indoors. So I, I don't expect we'll see fans at Warriors games for a while. Uh, and, and the medical experts I talked to were much more at ease going back to an outdoor baseball game or a college football game than they would be an NBA game. And they got into the details, right? The, the sort of eating and drinking, having a beer, uh, the cheering even. Yeah, one of the one of the doctors I spoke to, Shannon Bennett from the California Academy of Sciences, was kind of funny. She just described her routine of, you know, yelling loudly and holding a beer in one hand and a hot dog in the other and popcorn wedged between her knees and high fives to strangers when the Giants score. And, and that kind of behavior, as she sort of was describing it to me, she chuckled and sort of thought, you know, there's a lot of transmission opportunities there. There's a lot of ways the virus can spread from one person to the other. So most of the experts I talked to were kind of concerned, were definitely concerned about the eating aspect, because obviously that requires you taking off your mask. So they were recommending and, and hoping that teams will restrict where fans can eat and drink. And that might have to happen up in the concourse and not at your seat. You know, there might not be vendors roaming the stands selling you beers. You might have to buy it at the at the counter, at a socially distanced counter, and drink it before you return to your seat. Or or maybe you re drink it at your seat, but but obviously you're going to be in pods, I guess, for, you know, of, of separate families and households. So there's a lot of details still to be worked out. But the, the general point or the main point that the experts made was, just because it's allowed, there's still there's still risk involved. So people have to kind of use their own judgment and figure out what how much risk they're comfortable taking on. Yeah, the uh, the beer break in the pod. It sounds like a wonderful fan experience. I have to tell you that I, I have seen a live sporting event. My 12 year old daughter had soccer games last weekend and um, hopefully there was no transmission, but it seemed to work out. Well, and one of the doctors I spoke to said, you know, not all live sporting events are created equal. 
right? I mean, that soccer game, your daughter's soccer game is a lot safer by definition than a Warriors game or even a Giants game because there's lots of space, I'm presuming, for you to spread out. I mean, if any other parent got too close to you, you could, you know, just wander away and keep keep that six-foot cushion and still watch your daughter play. But if you're sitting shoulder to shoulder at a sporting, you know, at a, at a venue at Oracle Park or the Coliseum, that's not going to work. So that's why they're limiting capacity at 20% in the red tier, 33% in the orange tier. So you're not going to see a full house for the Giants and the A's uh, still for quite a while. All right. Bottom line, Giants and A's do look like there will be a reduced capacity of fans. Warriors, there's still a chance by the end of the season that maybe we might see some. But for these medical experts, are they looking ahead to a date where they would feel quite comfortable being at an indoor arena? Well, one, uh, John Schwartzberg, a doctor at UC Berkeley, infectious disease expert, he's pointing toward the fall. Um, he was recently vaccinated, as many of these doctors were. Um, and he, the way he put it is he's just taking baby steps toward getting back to normal, um, which to him, you know, again, it's different for different people. But for him, that means seeing his son and daughter-in-law now and then eventually going back to sports events. He said, you know, seeing his son and daughter-in-law is two people as opposed to a sporting event where there's thousands. There's a big difference in risk. Um, and he thinks by the fall, you're going to have so much more, so many more people vaccinated. Um, you'll have, we'll have much more knowledge of the threat of the variants. You know, it sounds like they're maybe not as dangerous as we once feared, um, but there's still some unknown. Um, that's everything that the medical experts pointed out to me in my conversations were, you know, we don't know everything. We know more than we did a few months ago, and we'll know more in a few months from now. So I think summer summer or fall is probably when most of them will return to sporting events. Um, it's probably when I will start returning to sporting events uh, as a fan. Um, but the opportunity will be there, you know, next month, really, in April for, for Giants and A's fans. All right, Ron. Well, thanks for taking the time. Hey, Damian, thanks for having me. Thanks to my guests today on Fifth and Mission, Chronicle reporters Annie Weinstein and Ron Kroichik, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. <laughs>